Um, I think looking at that time horizon of one and two, when we're looking at transforming or working within the existing capital system, how we nurture the capital is really co-creating with founders and organizations, what they feel that needs to happen with their, in, in terms of their journeys of being able to be both held accountable to the purpose, to the impact that they're wanting to drive and to the, the, the human elements of the organizations that they're, they're running. Uh, and so it's a series nurture capital plan that is um, a number of different modalities, but it's every interaction is bespoke. Every engagement is bespoke uh, because it has to be, there's not a one size fits all um, uh, methodology. Um, and it's taking from a lot of the learnings of of, of the team we've um, um, spent most of our careers working in emerging markets um, in various types of organizations uh, and really taking that learning that we're just here to accompany others uh, and oftentimes be a voice, oftentimes um, uh, be the ones on the on the front saying, no, it's we can't actually uh, put a premium on the people of the organization, the purpose of the, or, of the organization in order to get to the uh, sustainable or, or, or profitability. No, we actually want to be seated, seated with other traditional investors, whether they be impact or not, and, and be asking about the, the human factor in these contexts, um, or being ones to say, no, it's actually okay if we invest or would like to invest in various forms of organizations, regardless of if it's a nonprofit, a for-profit, steward-owned or not. It's about getting capital to really drive impact forward. Um, that specific question. So, I'll uh, I'll step in for uh, for Alistair. Joshua, channel so him. I, Can Joshua you channel him? Exactly. I'll channel him. <laughs> so, but I really can't. Actually, it's too good. Um, but I would. But I, I suppose you're deploying capital, right, um, into organisations. Um, how have you changed the kind of model of capital allocation? in a sense, to build a different theory of portfolio. Have you sure. found that by investing in organizations which are human first, actually you get a different type of portfolio, i.e. your portfolio is more resilient, um, your default rates are lower, you're looking for higher learning functions, you're not looking for 100 Xs, but you're looking for 10 Xs. So you're, you know, I'm just kind of curious if you could 2X. Um, yeah, uh, so 2Xs across a wider, wider, so if you got to 2X, you'd get, you have to get 50% of your portfolio to give back. So you've got to be at 60 to 70% of your portfolio should be retained. So your heroin component is like a tentacle venture capital, more heroin capital. So it has an accelerated growth. Have you structured yes. the fund? So it's 20 year returns. Right. So is it 2020 yeah. cycle? What like just to get into sure. some of the details. Would be really great. So certainly. So, so it's, um, uh, we're very, as an emerging fund, we're still in the very early stages of, of both making our first investments and, and finishing also the fundraising process. But the idea is that it's a typical 10 plus two um, model and 10 years uh, of investing for a two years return. Um, and because the focus of the fund is on founders who are working to catalyze mental wellness, those are ones that are more receptive to take doing the inner journeys that they need uh, and building the, the resilient organizations and focusing more on, on the culture. Um, the intended return is 2x. 
it's we think it'll be much higher because of the the, spe the specific aspects that you mentioned uh, lower default rates uh, mediocre organizations being able to perform better because they can simply talk to each other and, and get over their own human elements uh, that, that prevent a lot of or that cause a lot of the the breakdown in in in, in startups and so that's um, but but again, this is the hypothesis. The entire first fund is is looking at this hypothesis of does nurturing capital actually lead to these higher returns? Um, and then, uh, as as I mentioned, and kind of out of um, a bit unexpectedly, other funds funders becoming interested also in this human element, and and now we're starting to deploy our services to those uh, as well. Uh, yeah. And and the the other thing, I suppose, I mean. I not one to admire massively, but significantly, I think Mark Andreessen's sort of fund structuring is quite unique as I see sure. it. So I, I think people often underestimate, I think he constructs the future in a quite a literal way, which is that his fund structuring is to invest, to learn about the future and yeah. then follow on invest to create that future. So Absolutely. it's actually very much a It's very much a learning orientated model. Yeah. And, and he prizes as far as I understand a model where effectively, if a, even if, if a, founder fails is actually the, the failure is not a failure it's the price of discovery at the whole fund structure yeah, level yeah, yeah, yeah. so 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 are you structuring a kind of um kind of a learning failure model built into your pricing uh, Most... so that actually you expect 50 percent or 100 percent failure or 60 percent failure in the first half of the fund and then you're going for a higher return in the later half like are, you, are you looking at those structures? Uh, precisely. We're actually trying to figure out are there mechanisms and innovations that we can do that so that if uh, and when uh, companies do fail, that um, in, in subsequent ventures that the founders do, because we're, we're betting on them as humans, especially at the very beginning, that we're able to follow on in their next um, uh, ventures, whatever those may be. And it could be a second fund. Um, something also that we're looking at is the solidarity aspect. Uh, and it's not to say when, when a private wealth manager comes knocking at your door after you've exited, um, uh, you Congratulations for the for the hard work that you've uh, you've done, and the system has rewarded you for for that. But when those bankers do come at your door, can we have now something in place that says actually thirty percent, let's say, of my 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 earnings, my my hard work, is actually going to a future Masawa or whatever entity? It doesn't matter that it's ours a liquidity fund, so that we can kind of circulate and create solidarity amongst all of the funders. Um, those are some other elements that. We're Proof like a pooling a pooling model, pool deck uh, across the, um, for all the founders or the kind of uh, operators. Yeah, a shared of, of the actually uh, yes yes, and so that's what we're looking at. Um, is it possible for everyone to have part of the the the, the, the performance fee, the the carry, um, so that we are a bit more bound together, and it's not this competitive nature. Um, and those are some of the things that we want to be able to uh, pilot in this first fund, ex expand. You know, if we look at what's happening in decentralized uh, autonomous organizations, uh, whether it be blockchain or not, there's also a lot of additionality that we can build to get us away from this one, like that the, 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 the entire portfolio is riding on the success of one company as an impact fund that doesn't actually get us to the numbers of lives changed that we need to see. And so it's coming to you, Caitlin, like a, a venture kind of investment model like that has a huge amount of outcome capability. So I wondered I wondered how a philanthropic organization could come in on the back end of that and mm -hmm. actually all pre-buy outcomes uh, in a way at a societal level and thereby create a revenue stream for the venture. Is there a new way for philanthropy to 
to loop in and partner in this way. Yeah, well, that directly folds into the comment I was going to have on, on what Joshua was sharing, which is I think a lot of this comes down to a matter of de-risking. I know that that into you on the real estate side have been looking at, you know, if, if you can actually limit the, the risk of downside, then you can offer, you know, a lower upside return and, and have people sort of buy into that. Um, likewise, I, I see kind of folding in public and philanthropic capital um, as a way of de-risking that investment capital. Um, and I want to actually add in a, a few additional layers of de-risking that I'm hearing here, which is if you're pricing the intangibles, right? You're starting to, re we're, re we're all talking about different ways that we're reducing uncertainty. If you increase sort of transparency, if you increase sort of collaboration and sort of cohorting and, and education, um, these are all ways of kind of lowering risk of, of while also yeah, there are other vectors of uncertainty that we're bringing in here as well, because we do want to encourage those mistakes. Um, but I, I would, I, I just kind of wanted to raise that sort of risk dimension. Uh, another dimension that we've been looking at is as we view this through a truly multi-capital lens, I think that, you know, financial capital is one of many stakeholders. And so if we start to kind of even that circle, then some people are bringing are bringing capital some people are bringing kind of skills knowledge there are all these other forms of resources that we're bringing to the table and if we start just sort of shifting to view that a little bit differently then i think we can have some really valuable insights there as then we move towards governing differently and so i would also say that more participatory more liquid forms of governance are a key component of this paradigm that i think we're all touching into and then to more directly answer uh your question indy um Again, this is where we get into, like, there, there comes a point where philanthropy feels very semantic, um, because if you're getting down to the point of measuring the returns for, for whether it's a philanthropic donation or whether it's an investment, ultimately what you want to be measuring on the project level is the same thing. Like the same, and that's something that we've been running into, is it almost starts, once you get really granular, it starts to feel almost absurdist, because... Um, you're saying, well, what? how do we want to package this? Are we packaging this as a report to a philanthropist to show, you know, this is, or are we packaging it up and calling it a digital security and then selling it over here? It's the same measurement. And, oh, can, like, can we double count that? Like, how do, so we're actually starting to get into some really practical, <laughs> almost frustrations around that because I think we're running head on into some of the absurdity of these binaries. Hmm. But it, but it's really important. I, I suppose what I was quite enjoying in that conversation was, you know, if you can marry the enlightened and care-centric venture capital model with effectively, say, a, you know, a collective outcome buying capacity in some fashion, um, and you you were to do that in a in a geography, you would not only create the new organisations and value creators of the forward, you would also be able to drive integrated effects and outcomes at a population mm -hmm. level. So I, I, I'm increasingly interested in how these kind of ecosystem structures come together, <laughs> because I think they're going to be critical to allow for, you know, because it's not about centralized innovation, we need decentralized innovation. And we also need new ways of collectively looking at population level liabilities and all the stuff that you've been doing by reframing philanthropy itself. Because mm -hmm. when these two things come together, we create really powerful ecosystems, which I think it would be really uh, significant. Um, I'm just conscious of time, um, and uh, and also maybe uh, just give the last word to you, Joshua and, and Caitlin, and uh, and then we can wrap up. Maybe. 
Joshua, any thoughts from Certainly. your side? Yeah, I think I think this this last area that we're looking at is is something that's really very exciting um, for for me personally, um, having worked across various different capital buckets and seeing that those buckets are really at the end of the day it doesn't, matter, it doesn't they're insignificant, and using the different incentives and, and, and mechanisms, whether it be having a philanthropist contribute to a fund like ours, if depending on outcomes in year three and five, that they're able to give an additional top up of 20% of their portfolio for follow on, which is where we're going to make the most impact, both financially and socially. Um, and, and those types of mechanisms, which I haven't seen before, um, uh, hopefully they'll be coming out, but how do we kind of not just structure them, but also um, actively have what I call a process historian alongside as a, 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 a contemporaneous anthropologist being able to say, well, what, what was really happening when these things, when these discussions were going on, when the decisions were being made, uh, and 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 as not just looking at this one example that I gave, but all of these different new ways, or or ways that we're repackaging or evolving, so that we have a better understanding of really what the inputs are and and kind of the feelings and emotions uh, are needed happening in the discussions in the rooms. Uh, I think that's something I'd love to be able to see work on, etc. So. I think this is a great conversation to continue going forward. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I, I would say that the outcome buying doesn't have to be just through the investment side, but sure. can be through the revenue side, oh, which also sense. means is a pre, it's a precursor for, uh, it's a precursor for public and quasi public agents to start mm -hmm. to understand that the, the work that your startups and organizations are doing are mitigating their liabilities in new ways. So yeah. I think there's a really interesting ecosystem response. Caitlin, uh, you have the last word, my dear friend. I think part of what we're all building here is a new circulatory system in a way, right? Um, we're looking for ways to transmit whether it is financial capital, whether it's knowledge, um, whether um, it's measurement. I, I think we're all kind of seeking to prototype this model where we have enough complexity and enough sort of um, diversification of our prototypes that we can learn from them. But we always need for that information to make its way kind of back to the center <laughs> to kind of sense make and pulse back out to apply again. And I think if we can find a way at the smallest scale to decide around shared language, I think this does come down to kind of language and, and metadata. If we can come to a set of shared agreements um, around th those inputs, and then we can go out and scale and deploy, but always ensure we have the mechanisms in place for that learning to come back to the center. I think that's what's required um, for us to reach the type of scale that we're talking about here. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, my friends, uh, on behalf of Alistair, but I would say uh, thank you for your patience. Thank you for kind of um, working with the disruption itself. Um, but I think it was kind of, we got to a meaningful moment as a result of that, mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. and a meaningful kind of, a kind of idea of what constellations of capital are required and circulations of capital are required to make the kind of a, mm -hmm. a real deep dent in, uh, dent in the kind of context that we're living in. So uh, thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Caitlin. And on thank behalf you. of Alistair, thank you. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Cheers, friends. Thank you. <laughs> Best travels. I think I'm just going to leave. Until we see each other soon. All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Bye.